When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. On Commons People This Week. In the last few days, the Sun, the Mail, the Telegraph, the Express have all gone a little bit James Bond. It's Agent Corbyn about to wage war on the press. With Britain plunged into a Mad Max-style world borrowed from dystopian fiction. David Davis allays dystopian fears of Brexit. That you're Theresa May, where's that money for Grenfell? And politics comes to the Brit Awards. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. With me, Owen Bennett, and this week I am joined by Kate Forrester. Hello, Kate. Hello. I'm joined by Mr. Paul War. Hello, Paul. Hello. And I'm joined by Ned Simons. How are you, Ned? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Cool. Excellent. Very busy this week, wasn't it? Yeah. Very busy. Lots to talk about. Should we crack on? Yeah. Excellent. Uh, First of all, most importantly, was Jeremy Corbyn a spy for the Czechoslovakian Secret Service in the 1980s? Yeah? No. Right, move on. Well, that's the claim (laughs) from Jan Sarkozy, who was a member of Czechoslovakia's Communist Secret Service. Uh, he told last week. He told the Sun last week that Corbyn was named Agent Cobb, and that he met him in the House of Commons. Uh, this has been sort of widely dismissed by many people who should know things, um, but it prompted a bit of fury from Corbyn, and here he is in a threat to the media. The general election showed the media barons are losing their influence, and social media means their bad old habits are becoming less and less relevant. But instead of learning these lessons, they're continuing to resort to lies and smears. Their readers, you, all of us, deserve so much better. Well, we've got news for them. Change is coming. Theresa May couldn't pass up the opportunity to make a terrible gag about this, of course. Here's her at PMQs. But can I congratulate? Can I congratulate the right honourable gentleman? Because normally he stands up every week and asks me to sign a blank cheque. And I know he likes cheques, but really, that is terrible. Before we discuss the merits of this, I want to play you a little clip of BBC's Andrew Neil grilling uh, Brexit Minister Steve Baker over claims from some of his colleagues that uh, Corbyn had betrayed the country. But you're a defence secretary, our defence secretary, the defence secretary of this government, of our government, has said the leader of Her Majesty's opposition has betrayed his country. 
In what way has he betrayed his country? Well, that it really is a question for Gavin Williamson. That's not the so word. So you don't agree with it? Well, I'm not, I'm not really commenting on the... Uh, well, do you uh, think the, he's betrayed the country? I think that Jeremy Corbyn is a grave danger to our country. Well, that's a political it, point. That's a different... Of course you do. Everybody in one party thinks the other party's a grave danger. Betrayal is an entirely different matter. That's a serious accusation. Andrew Neil there, living up to the stereotype that he's actually a secret Tory, does nothing for Labour. I mean, it's a fantastic interview, wasn't it? Let's just... I, I Was Corbyn a spy? <laughs> I mean, he didn't know anything. If he was, it was a useless one, right? Well, um, <laughs> what's weird about this story is that was Corbyn a spy doesn't even really seem to be anywhere near the truth. And it's all the, the, the stuff around it, you know, was he an informant? Was he a useful idiot? Um, and they, 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 which is a, a phrase, and, and as historians will know. And um, what's curious is the way the attack lines against him have shifted over time. Some people said he's been paid by it. Um, the, the communists, some said he was simply being naive. Um, and the attack line um, has actually prompted from Labour one of the most sort of uh, widespread fightbacks that, that we've seen in recent months, actually. And not since the general election has it been so ferocious, uh, Labour's sort of anger about all this. And what I found interesting is the way it's united um, Corbyn-sceptic Labour MPs as well as Corbyn-supporting MPs. And they're all really, really angry that, you know, it, basically even people in the centre say, look, you can accuse Corbyn of a lot of things, but he isn't a Russian spy or a Czech spy. I mean, Barry Gardner, the Shadow International Trade Secretary, said this is revenge from newspapers, um, this story, because of Labour's plans to give the go-ahead to part two of the Levinson inquiry. Do you think that? I, I'm not sure if I believe yeah, that. that. I think... I don't think so. I think about it, I think. Yeah, I think that's kind of, like you say, thinking too much about it. I think it's just papers who have a story they think is true. They, if they're not particularly fans of Corbyn, they're going to run it. I don't know if it was perhaps as thought out as, oh, we're going to do Leveson 2 when we're in power, so we'll preempt it with a story about you being a communist spy. That seems a bit, kind of, kind of too, too much. But in a way, this kind of, this kind of plays into Labour's hands a little bit, doesn't it? Because if you're, and we heard in the video, if your whole shtick is, uh, you know, the, the, the mainstream media are out to get us, and you're looking for lots of examples of that, this is perfect. This is a story which really doesn't stand up to much scrutiny. It's been dismissed by everyone who could possibly confirm it, really, hasn't it? And and so really, Labour must be going, oh, good, then. this is quite a good opportunity to, to bash the press again. Yeah, and also, I thought it was quite interesting that it basically led the news for like two or three days. Um even though it had been sort of knocked down by Corbyn's team. So I guess that, again, plays into the narrative that, oh, you know, the media's running with this story, even though we say it's not true. But I think um, when Corbyn came out with that quite, you know, extraordinarily powerful video message attacking the press, that gave it legs again. I think it possibly yeah. might have died away if they hadn't decided to do that, because then it became a proper response. And then I saw about press freedom as well. So they, whether deliberately or not, they gave it, a few more days, I think. But I think it was very had. deliberate. They wanted yes. to get it out there. And the interesting thing was that none of the broadcasters carried that video because they don't carry videos. That's not what they do. They don't carry viral videos by the, or, or party political broadcasts, which is what they see them as. Um, and so n that actual footage had much more impact yet again for Labour online through social media, which is its main battleground these days, not necessarily the broadcasters, not what you see at 10 o'clock news, but the clips that are shared on people's phones everywhere and that help them in the general election. And there was a lot of echo of the general election this week. I mean, it felt like a general election, the way in which the, this was so fierce, the attack line and, and the defence was so fierce, equally fierce from Labour. 
Um, and it did remind me of, you know, in the election when they had threw everything at him about being a member of the IRA, a supporter of the IRA, I should say. Um, and also of the, the period soon after he became leader when he had the whole shoot to kill row, you know, did he or didn't support, um, you know, police shooting terrorists in, in the action of, of committing terrorism. Now, at that time, he was much less secure as in, in, in what he was saying, and he had to tack and trim and change and clarify his position. We've seen a much stronger, Rome, more robust uh, reaction this week. And uh, after PMQ's Corbyn spokesman gave us, like, I mean, more than 45-minute briefing on answering detailed, rebutted points of, of what was thrown at him. If there's a man who knows a lot about what went on during the Cold War, then it's Corbyn spokesman. Well, the, Milne. the the curious thing is, um, um, Labour do think they're winning this battle. There's no question. They think that they're making the Tories, particularly MPs who who are now facing libel suits but, like, mean, so like, like Ben Bradley. So Ben Bradley sent a tweet um, saying that Corbyn had sold secrets, which Corbyn's team said, right, we're going to sue you for that, because that is a hell of an accusation. Yep. Ben Wallace, security minister, said that he's as bad as Kim Philby, who was one of the Cambridge spies who defected yeah. to the Russians. Um, I mean, that, these, I mean, it's going in two-footed, right, and it's being strong, but these attacks can only backfire, can't they? This makes the Tories look bad, and it makes the Tories, I don't know, just... It makes any legitimate attack under under sort of boy cry wolf kind of style thing, yeah. Yeah, and I think you know, obviously Corbyn's supporters, they just they take no notice of this. This does not affect in any way what they think of him. Um, and to be honest, it kind of bolsters his support. But you're right. I mean, it, I think it's not just Corbyn's core support that would react, as you'd imagine, to this story and blame all oh, the wicked right wing media, wicked right wing Tory party. What's interesting about it? is that Labour insiders are telling me that actually it's middle-of-the-road voters who are beginning to see Corbyn as being victimised. And also, you know, that one of them said to me, it's a great thing to, maybe we should put it on his Twitter bio, what <laughs> was the description uh, put down in that file by the Czech spy? And the description was, behaviour reserved and courteous, however, occasionally explosive when speaking in defence of human rights. Now, that's not a bad, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> not a bad <laughs> characterisation, is it, to have on your side as a and party leader? With this spy as well, this Czech guy, I mean, these these people always try to, in the same way that we pick up the contacts we've got, I guess, maybe, or some of us don't have to, do we, Paul? You actually know people. But, you know, they're always bigging them up to their hand as they've, they've recruited this important person. I mean, there was all these people who used to defect in the 60s who claimed that Harold Wilson was a spy they'd recruited. About five people did, and it was all nonsense. So these there's going to be histories of people talking these things up, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. And it's based on that one guy, and why would you necessarily believe him? On a random other point, I thought Theresa May's joke in oh. PMQs, now obviously it wasn't good, because no jokes in PMQs are ever good, but it wasn't the worst joke ever, and she didn't actually deliver it that badly. <laughs> like, for her, no, 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 no. for her. Well, Liz Truss loved it. She, she did. She, she did. tweeted, <laughs> what, she said, checkmate. Like, and then <laughs> has, hashtag, back of the net, she put. She did, back hashtag. of the net. No, hashtag, yeah. back if of the Theresa May had just said at one point, now I think that's checkmate, that would have been funny, but you can't set yourself up for a witty reply by setting up the premise yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's what was wrong no, with it. Obviously it was bad, but it was way less bad than all every other PMQ's joke she's but ever know, made. But you know why she said that the, 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 we know you like checks, which was her lame joke, because she'd been pre-briefed to expect Corbyn to go on public spending. Mm. So all her rebuttal was all about, oh, Jeremy Corbyn, you want to spend loads of money. So she'd had that in the locker yeah, and just shows how actually rigid she can be in PMQ. She'd have that pre-prepared, pre-shrink yeah, wrap gag and thought, I've got to use it anyway. It was funny, just very quickly on PMQs, when Burko started having a go at the press gallery this week. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about the press I gallery. All right. I thought, all right, John. Yeah. 
Heinz, he loves us really. He gives us loads of stories through UQ. Why does he? Why was he having a go? Why did he bring us into it for? Well, I you know. I did like at the vote one hundred thing when he said that um, more women need to be in the press gallery. That was good. <laughs> oh yeah. Well in, John. Well, the curious thing about uh, <laughs> the, the other <laughs> point about Corbyn's wider attack on the media and obviously a demand for more re- media regulation, which many of us around here at this table wouldn't necessarily agree with, um, is that actually, again, it unites the left and the centre of the Labour Party. So you've got Tom Watson, who was seen as Corbyn's you know, biggest opponent within the shadow cabinet. He's been driving, along with Ed Miliband, this whole pursuit of the Murdoch press th- um, for a long, long time. And it's the one area where they and Miliband and Tom Watson coalesce around Corbyn's agenda, which is the state really needs to actually uh, impose some more controls on where the media are at bang out of order and on behalf of the public, not just of politicians. And I thought that was interesting. And um, that's why a lot of the you know newspaper proprietors are genuinely worried that it's become a mainstream thing now. Should we hear John McDonnell make a joke about it? I mean, it's it's probably worse than Theresa May's joke, but Ned insisted we put it in. Let's Go have a on. listen. There is. I'll try. I'm not allowed to tell jokes anymore, but I'll blow it. Because um, I went into the shadow cabinet the other week. It says, Asfidja Tavarich. Tavarich. And I said, you haven't read the papers this morning, have you? <laughs> awful. You mean he even buggered up the Russian? <laughs> I mean, it was just awful. Speak Let's just move properly. on from that. Thanks, Ned. Yeah, I didn't make the joke. <laughs> I said, "Oh, McDonald's made a joke. Do you want to put it in the podcast?" I didn't stand over oh, you oh, and force you. Gonna, to gonna release the t- <laughs> but actually, I think it proves that McDonald's isn't the spy because he's so rubbish at speaking Russian. Yeah, you would say that. He didn't even say "spasiba" properly. Let's just move on, everyone. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's move on to uh, Brexit, and we're not going to live in a Mad Max dystopia. Oh, don't believe me, Ned. Not my words. The words of David Davis. Let's have a listen. They fear that Brexit could lead to an Anglo-Saxon race to the bottom. With Britain plunged into a Mad Max-style world borrowed from dystopian fiction. These fears about a race to the bottom are based on nothing. So Cabinet are gathering as we speak in Chequers, a Cabinet subcommittee, to discuss uh, what kind of Brexit we want. We've had another Road to Brexit speech from David Davis this week, in which he said, as you heard, that it's not all going to be death and destruction. There might be some good points too, apparently. Yeah. Um... What's, what's the main battlegrounds then that they're going to be thrashing out of Czechos today? Is it kind of how much we can diverge from EU rules and regulations? At what point we can diverge? Is that kind of the main thing? Judging by the comments this morning, it's going to be what film the UK is most going to be like. Andrea, <laughs> yeah. Ladson, said, Andrea Ladson said this morning that um, it's going to be less Mad Max, more Love Actually. So uh, that's something to look forward to. More Love Actually. I don't yeah, really does know that what that means. I mean, there's going to be sort of porn what? stars off of being filmed in checkers. No, surely not. No. Have you ever <laughs> seen Love Actually? <laughs> 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 Love Actually's actually got long. Martin Freeman as a porn star. Oh, yeah, no, that is true. He's forget a stand-in. He's a stand-in. You know what I mean. Honestly, <laughs> a stand-in porn star. Yeah. Not like that. That I feel like we should be putting more political houses into this. <laughs> well, the curious what? thing is, I, I think that um, what, what they... It'll be interesting to see tonight whether or not... I mean, number 10 have been saying, oh, don't expect any briefing, don't expect any readout. And they obviously want to hold back the conclusions of yeah, this cabinet. Yeah, it's something the cabinet are good at. <laughs> <is> <laughs> <not> <laughs> they even leaked the time when Amber Rudd said, don't leak, I'm talking to you, Boris. And yeah. that got leaked. <laughs> well, they want to hold it back, mainly because they want to give Theresa May's big Brexit speech the sort of sense of surprise. And um, you <laughs> are know, they holding back the conclusions because there'll be no conclusions. <laughs> Theresa May, I think. But they, they keep, I think what's going to happen is they'll come up with not necessarily a text, 
they agree on, but because th that'll be far too detailed at this stage. But they and we'll get that at some later point. But I think they'll come up with a position, and the position's going to be something they can sell on the doorstep, something they can sell to their Tory backbenchers, and it'll be a bit like both the Lancaster speech and the Florence speech. In other words, you come out with a position on various things, whether it's what you're going to do about an Irish border in general terms, what you're going to do about regulation divergence in general terms and i think they're going to then throw it into brussels's his court and say right this is what we want now this is, we're, we're bidding high uh and and just try and see if they can call their bluff because they think that on northern ireland for example that ireland definitely doesn't want um any return to the hard border and ireland itself they think they can use that as sort of judo throw against against the eu because ireland is so desperate for that not to happen that it would be a sort of mutually assured destruction on both sides of, of that border. But, but is the the problem that it's they might come up with all these positions or this position in checkers, but it's a negotiation, right? So really, they ought to come up with like three or four different positions: Plan A, Plan B, Plan C, and they're going to give Theresa May the room to manoeuvre when she goes into the negotiation room to say, right, I can get Plan A, I can get Plan B. If she only goes in with Plan A then it's, it's not going to work, and is it? And also on Northern Ireland, I, I don't see what they're going to come back with that's more kind of specific than what they've already said necessarily. I mean, Bar Barnier a couple of weeks ago said, OK, we said, you know, you want to have no hard border, neither do we, but if you leave the customs union and the single market, you will. And now come on, UK, give us specific, detailed, um, you know, explanation of how this will work. And I, I don't really see how in an away day they're going to come up with proper specific <laughs> arguments about how that border can work, whether they want it or not. And there's inherent con contradictions in, in this thing about how long is the transition? Is it indefinite, for example? I mean, only this week, the government have, have come up with a form of words that was leaked, which suggests actually, on the one hand, they want it to be as long as it takes to get it right, which sounds kind of sensible, sound of open-ended. But on the other hand, they're saying it's got to be strictly time-limited. Those two things are incompatible. And they've... I don't know how they're going to make square that circle, to be honest. And I think that is a problem. And Andrew Bridge and Tory MP made the point that when a lot of negotiations go down to the wire, and that's why you need a wire there. And if it's all open-ended and this goes on as long as it takes, the EU are going to try and drag this out to keep getting money, aren't they, Kate? So really, this is you can, you can understand why the Tory backbenchers, the 62 whoever signed that letter to Andrew this week, reminding Theresa of her previous red lines, why they're getting a bit panicky. Well, definitely. And I mean, I think there's all kinds of all kinds of shifts now that are quite concerning, actually. Um, some Brexiteers' comments about a Good Friday agreement um, I thought were quite worrying. Like Kate Hoey's comment that um, mandatory coalition isn't sustainable in the long term. I mean, like the Good Friday agreement wasn't written on the back of a fag packet. Like it's really, really, really huge. And I'm, gen I'm genuinely worried. And of course, First it was to Huff Post that uh, Kate Howey that is true. made yeah. those and comments. And Howey in the Northern Ireland Committee yesterday said, you know, why are criti <laughs> critics of the Nor of Good Friday Agreement, it's not like we're trying to kill babies. Like, is that the bar? And like, also, not wanting to kill babies. It's funny, but I'm sure people are almost working well, to in the troubles, right? Mm. So I'm not saying they want to do it, but you, know, you look back to how things were. I mean, this is this Good Friday Agreement, it's not like a little bit of a trade agreement. This is like... And I can remember growing up when bombs were going off in London, you know, and, and now they're not from the Irish. So, you know, well, that's why a, I mean, I mean, a, a proper effect. Ultimately, I mean, is, that's just one of the many important issues that has, has got to be hammered out. But someone said to me, a Tory said to me, actually, the most curious thing of all is that, it, and this might sound odd, that Theresa May even created a Brexit department because they say actually, if she hadn't done that, then you wouldn't need a, sh a Brexit Select Committee. 
whose only function, the Brexit Select Committee, is to scrutinise an ongoing negotiation. It's the first time in British history when a negotiation with an, another state or set of states has been subject to parliamentary scrutiny in such detail way, which means that all the way along, and this cabinet meeting is very similar, the, the cabinet have to give away their negotiating stance as they're going. And as someone said to me, a Tory, that actually this is so unusual, people are forgetting that, that normally... This would all be done behind closed doors because actually to protect your national interest, you don't have to go out and make speeches, the road to Brexit. You don't have to appear in front of a select committee. You just try and get things done. Now, obviously, you, you can't... with David Davis too much. You have saying you at this point. Yeah, you can't... Um, be, you can't open and I'm not saying that. You can't unpick the Brexit department, obviously. But uh, it, Tories are saying, look, you know, that was her, one of her big strategic mistakes that maybe, you know, ultimately it's down to, to Sherpas and officials as well as ministers to conduct all these um, negotiations. OK, let's move on to another story which we broke this week, which uh, Kate Forrester should be seeing here. Hello, Kate. Hello, led on, and we uh, contacted uh, a number of female MPs and asked them to uh, tell us their experiences of life uh, in Parliament, their experiences perhaps of bullying and perhaps harassment. What's it like to be a female MP? And some of the answers we got back were sort of eyebrow raising, weren't they? Yeah, it was incredible, really. Um, so we asked them to speak to us anonymously, so they felt that they could speak freely and sort of give us a proper picture of of what's gone on. And we had things like. Um, one Tory MP saying that whips claiming um, when sorry when there were new female whips promoted, there were MPs claiming that they'd been given those jobs because they've got tits, which is just crazy. Like it's the sort of thing I feel like in 2018 you you make a joke about people saying things like that because it doesn't happen anymore, mm. but clearly it still does. Um, we had MPs, loads of female MPs saying that you know, um, older peers have come up to them and said, oh, you know, which MP is it you work for, dear? And they're making comments about how they're getting younger all the time. To This is to women in their 40s. Um, they also said sort of practical things as well, like there are not as many women's toilets as men's in Parliament, even though it's over a third of MPs are women. Um, and the staff is, the staff in Parliament is pretty much 50-50 gender split. I think there's slightly more men. Um, so it's things like that that just show that even though the culture is kind of slowly changing, it's still, for most women having to contend with it, they still say they feel like it's a man's world. But we were also saying there was a, no a number of people who got back to us who said they hadn't had any problems. And actually, uh, it seems some people did say, True. no, it was all fine, they never had any issues at all. So I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay that, no, but no, I no, we should no, give completely. the other side some people did say that as well, didn't they? Absolutely. And we spoke to Anne Jenkin, who is the Conservative co-founder of Women to Win. On the record, this is. We're not breaking any confidence yeah, here. Yeah, no, no, uh, no confidence broken. And Harriet Harman, um, who is the longest serving female MP in the Commons. And they both said they feel like attitudes are changing, but obviously it's a gradual process. Um, and they think the way forward to kind of really, really stamp, stamp all of this out now is to publicly embarrass the people who are harassing and behaving badly. Thanks for that, Kate. And now let's turn over to my favourite subject, popular culture. And it seems that the Brit Awards got political last night. Here is Stormzy delivering a riposte to Theresa May over Grenfell. Now, yo, Theresa May, where's that money for Grenfell? 
Well, you fool, we just forgot about Grimfell, you criminals. And you've got the cheek to call us savages. You should do some jail time. You should pay some damages. You should burn your house down and see if you can manage this. And please live cold. We just smoke a bit of cannabis. We are delighted to be joined by Daniel Welsh, entertainment reporter here at HuffPost UK. Hello, Daniel. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Good. And you were watching the Brit Wars last night. I certainly was. And was was it quite a shock? Because I think Damon Orwan gave a bit of a political speech as well. But we expect that from him. But for Stormzy to do it, was that a bit of a shock? Um, no, not really. Stormzy's always kind of been very outspoken. If you follow him on Twitter, especially with regards to Grenfell, like he's one of the celebrities, along with people like Lily Allen and Adele, who from the off have been very, very vocal about it in sort of calling out the government, looking for the truth in the media and all that sort of thing. So actually, um, it's not that much of a surprise for him to be that explicit about it. I was quite taken aback by, I was quite shocked by, but um, it was, yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a shock that he was political, but it was very, very, um, you know, on the nose. Uh, music and politics has always been a kind of overlap. But it, it seems sort of maybe during the noughties in particular that it wasn't, as much of a of a thing, but now I guess with um, with grime coming up, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. With uh, with grime with grime, <laughs> sort of one of the sort of prevalent music genres at the moment, and that in itself is quite political, isn't it? Because it talks a lot about where people come from. So yeah, absolutely. Do you say music's getting a bit more political again now? I think definitely, yeah. But I think things like Brexit and the rise of Donald Trump, and again things like Grenfell Tower, um, the Orlando shooting, the Manchester bombing, and all that sort of thing. I think it's making young people more politically active and so they're looking for because again politicians can be quite um quite on a different level to like and feel quite um exclusive whereas like pop stars like Stormzy they're a bit more accessible and so you you know kids who are looking for someone who's going to make them engaged they're going to look to people who are like Stormzy who are much more kind of accessible on their level rather than I th- I th- and so I think that's making people like Stormzy more popular than, say, pop stars who are a bit more vacuous. I mean, I remember during the sort of cool Britannia years when Blair was very keen to align herself with Britpop. Yeah. Are we seeing, uh, and Corbyn has talked about Stormzy, and I think he's tweeted, you know, well, congratulations to him today for his Brit Award wins. Are we seeing a repeat of that? Are we seeing the sort of cool Britannia too? I think we might be. I mean, you know, Corbyn, the last general election, the, uh, the hashtag Graham for Corbyn, was very prevalent. He's really in with all of the grime stars. Um, so yeah, I think we might be. I don't know whether this this feels a bit more sincere, in my opinion, than Tony Blair. I think particularly because obviously Jeremy Corbyn's a, lab, um, a London MP and grime is so rooted in London that I think this feels a bit more like it's an actual two-way thing rather than Oh, who can I attach myself to? But Paul, do we really are we really supposed to believe that Jeremy Corbyn's digging his allotment, <laughs> putting on gang signs and prayers? Do you know what I mean? He's looking at his carrots. I, w- I wish that was true, but um, I think to be honest, Corbyn has been really quite candid about the fact that he doesn't listen to grime, but he likes the idea of it. He likes the idea of it. You know what? He <laughs> likes the fact broccoli. that he likes the idea that it's you know it's grassroots. It's a real community driven thing. It's come from you know black working class culture. And you know kids in in LA, you know Stormzy will perform in LA amongst these white middle class kids, and he's massive. You forget what a huge export he is um, for Britain b- abroad. You know, and that is he, in his own way. He's done what the Beatles did and the Stones did, but w- over in Britain he hasn't got that reputation. Can I just say that I've actually seen Stormzy in concert? I mean, you've seen Stormzy in concert. And, well, How? sort of in concert. And Kano, who's even better, can I just say. See, I'm on the money. <laughs> oh, my God. It's all money. coming out what? now. You know why? Go on. Because I went to the Mercury Music Awards last year. Oh, where is he? Know this. Yeah. How is this happening? That was great. Unbelievable. He's, he's actually, you know, I, I really got into him. 
Who Stormzy? I thought his album was a bit too uh, religious. It's quite religious, isn't it? He does love the Lord. Yeah. And he's, he's not, not shy and dad. about it. Yeah. You know, his mum and dad are quite religious. I listened to it, I listened to it this morning in anticipation of, of this course. podcast. Uh, in a panic. Uh, yeah, in a panic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, How yeah, much yeah. is a loaf of bread? Thinking, just get, get in the Liam Gallagher album off me, uh, Spotify. Should have won, by the way. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot more religious than I thought. Um, well, yeah, I mean, even his performance last night opens with this gospel number, Blinded by Your Grace. I just wanted to ask you, um, what was wrong with the set? Because like, it looked like a oh. pipe had burst. Oh, God, There was water is. all over him. Oh, Good Owen. Good grief. Was that a mistake? Oh, no. Uh, Owen, you're right. your dad rock. Let's move on to this week's quiz called Grime and Punishment. Excited. Oh, this is good. Hey. I'm glad Daniel's here for this. This is a quiz about when politics... And music award shows meets Daniel. Can right. I just can I just say Owen just did a very David Brent <laughs> thing with his hands. Merging of the hands. Yeah, oh, it yeah. is David Brent. <laughs> Question number one: Manic Street Preachers <laughs> won best album at the 1999 Brits with an album title taken from a speech by which politician? Can you name the politician and all the album title? Nah, Nye Bevin. It was Nye Bevin. Yes. Correct. What was the album title? Oh, it wasn't. What did it oh. I'll let you know. Go on. This is my truth. Tell me yours. Who said about Tony Blair in 1996, you get up there and you shake Tony Blair's hand, man. He's the man. Power to the people. Who said that, Daniel? I actually think I know. Go on. Is it David Bowie? No. Because no. he did present David Bowie with an award he at did. one point. He did. He and was he massive mispronounced his name slightly. Um, is it? Was that year? Was it one of the Gallagher's? I mean, was it Liam Gowen? No, Noel Gallagher. Was it Emma Bunton? <laughs> it, was <laughs> it was Noel Gallagher. Noel Gallagher. Who used their performance Church. at the 2017 Brits to poke fun at Donald Trump and Theresa May, Kate? I, d- I don't know. I'm rubbish <laughs> at this sort of thing. I'm Paul? not cool. Say that again. Who used their performance at the 2017 Brits to poke fun at Donald Trump and Theresa May? Mm. God. Taylor Swift? Daniel? It's Katy Perry, it Taylor Swift's oh, rival. And can I just say, I'm so, so glad close. that you brought that up. Because if you look at this year's Brits, where you had this really, really, again, Stormzy being very explicitly political. Last year, uh, Katy Perry said, oh, I'm going to be political, whatever. And she brought out these skeletons dressed as Theresa May and uh, Donald Trump. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, that was, there was no really statement to yeah. be had. There was no yeah. there was no comment. It was just skeletons dressed as them. All it was was an acknowledgement that those two people existed. Right, so I w- it was great to see Stormzy actually taking it to the next level and actually saying something rather than just alluding to something. Absolutely. Next question. Which band used performance at the 2017 Grammy Awards to say no Trump, no KKK, no fascist USA? Dan. I don't know that one. You should know this one. I should because I literally stayed up and watched those yeah. Grammys. But then Ooh. again, it was probably about four in the morning, so I was probably seeing was double it by that like point. Green Day. It was Green Day. For oh, oh, how do you know all yes. this? Which see, I'm old, but uh, I'm young. Couple more questions. Which 2013 nominated album had the following lyrics in its title track? We've had it with you, politicians. You bloody rich kids never listen. There's no such thing as broken Britain. We're just bloody broke in Britain. Can you repeat the question? Yes, I can. It's like Mastermind, there. <laughs> Ten points. <laughs> Which 2013 nominated album had the following lyrics in its title track? We've had it with you politicians. You bloody rich kids never listen. There's no such thing as broken Britain. We're just bloody broke in Britain. Is this Brits nominated? Yes. Is it Arctic Monkeys? No. Oh, well, Sorry, I don't mate. know. Kate? Uh, is it... Um, oh, God. How, no. How, is Paul? it not... 
It is Ill Manners by Plan B, which is a phenomenally good album. And that was a really good performance. Is that the yeah. one where the man was on fire running about the play? Uh, I think so, yeah. That was a really good year. That was a year when two different people had police on stage with shields, and the other people would take that. So I think Plan, <laughs> I think plan B wins. Uh, who said upon receiving an award in 1997, this is for every comprehensive school in Britain which the government is trying to eradicate, they produce the best bands, the best art, the best everything, and the best boxers too. Ooh. Who said that it's in 1997? Someone from a band. If, you, if you name the band, then I'll give you the point. It's a sort of I'm not see, I would have said Jarvis it's Cocker. sort of thing that Jarvis Cocker would say. Is it Damon Albarn? No. Damn. Oh, God. I shall tell you, it was Nicky Wire from the Manic Street Preachers. Manic Street Preachers. And finally, a Labour politician had a bucket of water thrown over him in 1998 yeah, yeah, by yeah. a band. Which politician and which band? Chumbawamba. Preza. I was going to ask Daniel Paul. I did know that. I Unbelievable. You. He's just got too excited, doesn't he? He's got he? too excited. because like he likes music and Stormzy. And the throwing of water. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the great one was when Michael God. Jackson was protesting got on the stage and ruined Michael Jackson's Jarvis Cocker, wasn't earth song. Yeah. That yeah. was brilliant for Jarvis Cocker. Um, thank you, Nash. Dan, coming in and bringing a bit of popular culture into this Vacuum. centrist dad. <laughs> it's, it's not often I get to talk politics. Liam did well, didn't he, last night? He d- he Liam, not Liam Payne, Liam Gallagher. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> did, d- but did he though? <laughs> did yeah, not, not, he was, no. It w- I mean, it was a nice performance. Yeah, it was. It was good. Very poignant. Yeah, very irritating, especially considering he? he didn't have a long time to put it together. I mean, he has been singing that song for 25 years, but <laughs> 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 like, he's not like. I mean, he should know the words by now, but he did well. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was you know good. You didn't look convinced. I just I, well, I don't want to say anything bad about it because it was a tribute to the Manchester victims. So I don't want to say, oh, what a load of shite. <laughs> <laughs> Fair dues. Thank you, Dan. Cheers for that. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll be back next week. Goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.